0: Welcome to this latest edition of the Positive Populist Podcast. And I'm so excited because our guest today is my friend, Teslin Figaro. you will have seen Teslin if you watch The Next Revolution. She's a regular on that show, and she's with me right here. And I'm going to start by asking the same question I ask all my guests. Teslin Figaro, are you a positive populist?
1: I think I am a positive populist. <laughs> Um, I guess it depends on how you look at the word, you know, but I, I do believe as an independent voter, a former Democrat all of my life, that it is important um, that people continue to push the movement, uh, push it in directions that uh, we have not been before. And so when I think uh, when you describe populism, I would say that I'm very close to that.
0: So I'm interested. There's so much there that I'd love to talk about. Um, just, just sort of an, an unpack a bit. So you, you, you talked about being an independent, mm-hmm. talked about being a former Democrat, Tell us a little bit about your political journey.
1: Well, I think like most, well, I won't say most African-Americans, but uh, growing up in a very conservative uh Household, you know, mm-hmm. my grandmother, my grandfather, my mother were uh, self-employed uh, African-Americans, always on their own business, never depended upon government assistance for anything. Where uh, where are we now? In Oklahoma City. Okay. Yeah, in Oklahoma City. My my entire background is Louisiana. That's what Figaro is. It's Creole. But growing up in Oklahoma City, uh, which is a part of the Bible Belt, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the views uh, that conservatives believe now are, are very similar to what I grew up in, uh, grew up. Um, you know, church every Sunday, church every Wednesday, church every Saturday, you know, church several times a week. Um, very conservative values, sit on your own bottom type of mentality. Um, you did not borrow, which you could not pay back. Um, very much a spirit of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. My mother worked 10 different professions. You know, she was a news director's assistant at Channel 4. She was a cosmetologist at night. She sold real estate on the weekend. She sold Herbalife, you know, between jobs. She was a hustler through and through. So watching her do that and and understanding the value of a dollar, uh, understanding the importance to own your own, to have that independence is when I started working at 10 years old. Um, So really coming from those beliefs, you know, beliefs in God being the the foundation um, and and the backbone of all – Uh, that I do, uh, really, I would say, is the conservative side um, of my background. But then at the same time, you know, I had uh, my dad's side of the family, which was on a total opposite uh, Mm -hmm. end of the spectrum. Um, I had an opportunity to see a lot um, that happened in the streets. You know, when you look at the 1990s growing up, mm-hmm. uh, that's when the war on drugs was at its peak. Uh, mass incarcerations, what we're dealing with now, uh, the results of that. So having an opportunity to see uh, a lot of gang activity uh, with cousins of mine mm-hmm. and also living in a neighborhood that was uh, a blood territory. So I had cousins who were Crips. I lived around bloods. Um, so I, I had a very – when I explain it to people, they don't – Yeah, tell, it, it's, tell us a bit
0: more than- about that that yeah. sounds like a world that that a lot of people listening Just won't have any experience of
1: Yeah well you know And I and they can't see on the radio But these stitches here You know that was from a crib You're pointing just, to, just to below my face. your eye uh-huh. yeah. yeah just below my eye uh, Stitches here on my arm A blood I mean those were That was the You know I don't get a chance To talk about that on television Because we never really yeah. talk about me But um, that was the upbringing um, That I came from But what does that know?
0: mean The stitches well, I mean how did you get what, what
1: Yeah well this particular These stitches came Because I wouldn't dance with a guy um at a teenage club and I, he told he asked me could I dance and I said no so I was 16 17 at the yeah. time and he was a crip and he hit me in my face hit you yeah hit me in my face so that's where these stitches were over i guess 25 30 years wow. ago yeah um so those were the type of environments you know that, that I grew up in i had a real opportunity to see um, one side of the spectrum on one weekend over my grandmother's house. Where, you know, everything was about church, and we ate, we drank mm-hmm. out of four-ounce uh, orange juice glasses. We drank out of uh, jelly jar glasses, you know, truly coming from the Depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my grandparents, you know, being raised in, in that environment. And then the, other, the next weekend, I would go to my— a dad side of the family, and so see totally pa- different.
0: Your, your your parents not together. At they this were point. divorced. Uh huh. When they, did that happen?
1: Um, divorced when I was very young, about three or four years. Uh-huh. Uh, when I was three or four years old. Yeah,
0: same. I have the same yeah. experience. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, high school sweethearts. You know, grew up um, in love, and once that divorce, once my brother passed away, and I'm very transparent with my story, so I appreciate you asking. Once my brother passed away, uh, my dad could no longer function. You know, with that, he no no longer could function with the loss of my my brother, and the loss of my mother, uh, and the loss of me. So his entire life was struggled what do you with mean drugs by the and loss? alcohol, right. losing it all, losing his job, right. losing his wife. You know, losing um, my brother uh, who passed away as an infant, um, losing me. How old was he? Or are these three months old. Oh, I'm He yeah, was three months old. So my dad— It's really tough. Yeah, and, and a lot of people—and and that's why Steve I always tell people I've been through a lot. You know, I've been through divorce. Yeah. I've been through relocating several different times. I've moved probably at least 12 times, most recently just on last week. Um, and I, I really thank God for allowing me to keep my mind because that is broken— People, not just people that I talk about in general, but people in my family, you know, that I know it broke my dad, you know, um, after losing it all. A lot of people just can't lose it all. They can't go from mm-hmm. having, you know, money and having access to things and having their family to having nothing. So he struggled with drugs and alcohol, you know, his entire life. Um, so growing up with that side of So you, you had know, this
0: split thing. So so mm-hmm. sometimes with your mother, mm-hmm. you live with your mother.
1: Right, correct.
0: And that side of the family, more, the more conservative, traditional. Correct. Background that you described. Correct. And then you're on your father's side, it sounded like more, that was more. Total of a...
1: opposite, yeah. Total opposite, polar opposites. Okay. So that's where I learned. What... And politically,
0: that's, mm-hmm. it sounds like you're saying that that pushes you more in a Democrat direction. Is that what I you're saying?
1: I would say, you know, and, 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 and a lot with African Americans, we're, we're Democrats because that's just. Kind of, I won't say what we're told to do, but it's just a natural thing that you mm-hmm. do because of the compassion, um, because a lot of African-Americans have compassion uh, for either what we're going through or what our neighbors are going through. And so the liberal mentality has seemed to offer more compassion. Right. Um, but it's amazing. Like my grandmother, she'll give the house away to – the stranger or, you know, Habitat for Humanity or Meals on Wheels, but if I were to ask to borrow a dollar, you know, it's not happening at all whatsoever. So right. it's really weird, you know, and those, and I tell all the time, Grandma, you're actually a conservative, you know, you believe in donating, but you don't believe in giving able-bodied people, you know, that can function on their own. Yeah. Um, so, it, and and, and I, I thought that when I grew up, I thought it was I guess, normal until I started explaining my background to people and that's when they realized, no, that's not really normal to have those set of extremes, you know, to be over uh, a cousin's house and, you know, watching the FBI kick in the door or, you know, watching the police kick in the door or watch people go to jail or watch crack cocaine or see people getting high and, you know, smoking that pipes. That was all in your This childhood. was all in my childhood. This was, These were all things that were of the norm to me. How
0: come you weren't getting sucked into it? If your cousin, mm-hmm. cousins were getting into into trouble and getting into that world, what how, what kept you out of it?
1: Yeah, I would say um, to be very authentic, there's two, two sides to it. Most guys either say, and some women, you know, either when they see the money and they see the, the opportunity, they say either they're going to sell drugs. For me, I said, you know, I want to date one of those guys. You know, I did say, you know, I remember the day, I'll never forget, one of my cousins came in. And he had a briefcase full of money wrapped up um, in in money bands and a Ferg on and a kango on. And I knew at that moment, I was like, OK, yeah, I'm going to give me one. I may not sell the drugs, but I want to date a drug dealer. And that was the mentality. Wow. Yeah, wow. that was the mentality at the time. And I did. Um, and so. I was really blessed, but I always kept my job. You know, I always I babysit at 10, 11 years old. Yeah. Uh My first babysitting job was Yuzi Brown, Washington, first black anchor in Oklahoma City. I worked at Frontier City. I worked at Walmart Target. You, Vinci- th- your first job was what? Was babysitting for Yuzi Brown, Washington. She was the first black right. anchor in Oklahoma City. Oh, okay. Right, yeah. right. So, um, so I had access to news. I was always looking. You know, I saw myself in that position. Um, so even though I kept my regular jobs and I still worked, I dated hustlers. I really did. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie about it. And I was just blessed um, to be sitting in houses where now looking back, you know, I look at, wow, you know, I was really sitting over here with 10, 15 kilos of cocaine in the house, 16, 17 years old, not realizing wow. I could have got a case or um, I could have been killed or I could have been wow. shot at. And so there's been a few instances, you know, that I could repeat on how I came very close right. um, to getting trapped in a system. But I never had the desire to sell drugs. But certainly, the money was attractive.
0: But it's really interesting, just the way you're talking about that. It's like clearly a defining characteristic of mm-hmm. the world you grew up mm-hmm. in: that the, mm-hmm. the drug dealing and so on, mm-hmm. and the crime. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and and I in and, and it does bring a sense of independence of not having to beg for anything. Um, my job was sufficient enough for me. You know, I, I'll never forget. What were you doing then? Well, at the time, I've worked everywhere, Steve. I mean, at that time, I was working at Venture, which is like a Target Venture, Walmart. Uh, I worked at Frontier City, the theme park. I worked at Brahms. I mean, there wasn't a job that every year I was on a different so job.
0: You, okay. What what mm-hmm. sort of age would, did you – I mean, you would – what was your education pathway?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, from t- – you're talking about my first job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, from 10 – I mean, from 10 years old, I was working at Betty's Daycare mm-hmm. at 10. Um from eleven to twelve, I was working at Frontier City. You know, during the summer, that was a theme park. Um, from fifteen, I was working at Brahms. Uh mm-hmm. I went to work at Target. I went to work at Venture. My first job at eighteen was at the Bank of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. I've always so you're know,
0: you working full time at that point.
1: Yeah, always. Yeah, always. So was which, there
0: any? Was there any kind of? Um, and how were you at school? What was your academically? How, I, how did I that say, play a part I, in your? life? Yeah, not, I would really? say
1: I was average because I was a cheerleader in high school, mm-hmm. so that was important. You know, to be able to continue to cheer. Uh, so keeping a 2.0 was, you know, was is important enough. But academics really wasn't um, my strong. Those mm-hmm. weren't the things that that pulled me in. Um, right. and, and later on, going to community college and then going to college and on and off. It took me over 20 years to get my college degree right. um, because of having to move so many times and start a business and start a job and have a baby and get a divorce. I mean, literally, so if I would take. Oh, yeah, I would take three hours at a time, you know, just to be able to, you know, finish my degree. Um, so I didn't have a chance to just go to school and say, you know, let's just go to school for four years. At 18, yeah. I had already had my own apartment, uh, never had a co signer a day in my life. My mother refused to co-sign for a car So you're apartment. basically
0: working. So I've got mm-hmm. go to college. I've got to work. I've got to earn money. I've got correct, to earn my correct. living. Yeah. And not
1: because I didn't – I didn't have a child, you know, but both of my best friends had kids at 16. I didn't. So mm-hmm. I didn't have a kid or anything like that. I just always wanted to be independent because my mom – Um, was really hard on me in that way. Um, I love my mother, rest in peace, but she was not one to, if you got in it, you needed to figure out how to get Mm -hmm. out of it. That's Mm -hmm. just the bottom line. So at 18, I'm having my own place. I couldn't just go to college. What was I going to do with my $400 car? So that's what I went and joined the military, um, my $400 car payment. And I joined the Air Force. I was 18. And I joined the Air Force. Force. Yes, reserves. Mm -hmm. Where? In Oklahoma City.
0: Okay, you are still there. Okay. Yeah.
1: And then I learned after going to the Air Force Reserves, I still was broke. I was to the Air Force Reserves. I was working at Bank of Oklahoma. I was doing claims at Shoney's Restaurant on the weekend, and I still couldn't pay my bills. So I decided to pack up and move to Dallas, Texas. I didn't have a place to stay. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a dollar in my pocket. I wrecked my car. Um, going there, and my mom said, oh, that's a sign, you know, you shouldn't go. I went and got a rent a car, and I kept going. I went and uh, bus tables. Uh, I met a girl one night, and she said, hey, my husband just walked out on me. You can stay on my couch for $300 a month, and I'll help you get a job at Geico. So I moved in with a complete stranger. <laughs> Yes, yeah, Steve. <laughs> I moved in with a complete stranger um, and uh, slept on a couch. She gave me an opportunity at Geico, and that was the first it was just owned by Warren Buffett. Yeah, that was the first professional job that I had in 1999. Yeah. That I didn't have to work two jobs. Um, it was the first job that I had without a college degree. Uh, I was in sales, yeah. And it was the first time I was able to take care of myself And Warren Buffett. And I won't say this because I always talk about how great of a company you know he owns. That's when I really learned about profit sharing. Um, that year he gave back 21%. If we saved the company money, he gave it back. And it was all about everyone chipping wow. in and, you know, using very old powerful. pencils, very powerful, yeah, yeah, yeah. using old pencils, using old folders. And so at the end of the year, that 21% check that I got for the very first time is how I was able to get transportation again because I'd wrecked my car uh-huh. in Dallas, Texas. And that was a real foundation on business and what that meant and yeah. how to give and give lesson. back. And it's an awesome lesson. It's what I used to start my company over a decade later.
0: Right. And then, during this time, is is politics in your world at all or not really?
1: It's always been in my world, but not from a standpoint of um, an elected official. I've never been one to... Uh, be a fan of an elected official or look at them in that way. Um, politics has always been more from a justice standpoint, you know, from a and, and I don't mean racial justice, mm-hmm. you know, when I say this, just from a justice, you know, right is got right it. and wrong is wrong. You know, I got my first bloody nose in the third grade. You know, Shantae Rowland was getting bullied on the bus. And I told Ben, you know, today it stops. You know, that was the first. bloody yeah, nose. Just, I get it. Yeah. And fifth it's, grade. I uh, it's powerful. Stephanie crime. Collins. I yeah. said the bullying ends today in the sixth grade. I got suspended because I told Miss Harris, <laughs> people are getting tired of you snatching papers you know so every year I can I remember
0: like organizing kind of walkouts from my school you know because right? like, I just felt like the teacher had behaved unfairly that's to right. and like, I got hauled in front of the head teacher like who you're you some kind of union leader that's you know right what I mean? it's interesting I, that early thing but what, that's
1: right and but, you know, see so that's why because I tell people if people can't go back to the sixth grade and tell a story then they're made up it's either in you or or it's on you. This is God, in me. And in sixth grade, I told Ms. Harris, you know what? The day's over for you snatching papers. And so one day somebody's going to slap you, Ms. Harris. And I got suspended really for five you days. Just, honestly, that's a
0: really amazing thing you just said. Because basically, you just like explained something about myself. I hadn't really thought of that yeah. until you mentioned it. But I kept do, like I kept getting in trouble like with the authorities, with the school, whatever. When I was at school, trying, trying to sort of exactly like, like you were saying, like that sense of justice. Yes, and 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 hating kind of arbitrary authority and sort of stupid rules that, That's that right. people just tell you what to do without explaining it. And and that was there. I was doing that always. At I've
1: always been in trouble for my mouth. Interesting. All
0: right. So, the, the, I'm just interested in the, in the political journey as well. There's so much to talk about um, in terms of your personal journey but we know you now you know when, when we introduce you on the show it's like former Bernie Sanders staff that's how we sort of describe you so people have a sense of right where you are politically and people can relate to that Bernie Sanders campaign 2016 and so on so how did you get to that
1: how what was that path, that path. I mean I, I just think you know I always knew I wanted to be um When court TV came out, I knew I wanted to be an attorney and be on television at the same time. I just always knew that during the O.J. Simpson trial. Um, So I just always knew that was for me, but... Um, I, I started in politics in Dallas. Um, I had my own uh, television show I, at that time. I worked with Commissioner John Wiley Price. I was at the University of North Texas. I had my own show called Unscripted of, what of Dallas, uh-huh. Dallas, Texas. John Wiley Price, right? Uh, you know, getting in trouble way down the road. But anyway, um, but I, I started uh, my own talk show then. Uh, you know, in Dallas, and my own PR On local T V. On local TV at the right. college station. Okay. Um, and then going moving to Orlando, Florida uh, with my husband at the time is when I really got involved, you know, in politics on a very deep, you know, level. Um, really speaking up for injustices. I remember it was about the FCAT, you know, the testing at the time, about testing kids. You know, we talk about mm-hmm. school and mm-hmm. school choice all the time. And so that really kind of sprung an interest to me. And so by sitting on, um, to make a long story short, sitting on various different uh, boards, uh, Orange County boards, Mm-hmm. in Orlando, um, on the Metro Plan Board for Transportation, um, being very involved in the business community, uh, ambassador chairperson for the African-American Chamber of Commerce. Um, that was the, I guess, more of the Democratic side, but also on the inaugural committee for the Orlando Regional Chamber of Commerce Young Professional uh, oh Advisory Committee. absolutely which is the exhausting total just listening absolute. to you, Tesla. It's yeah.
0: absolutely amazing. <laughs> it's like you've packed, like, I don't yeah. know. Fifty people's lives. I to, have lived about life. fifty. It's and people amazing. always say,
1: "How do you do that? How do you do that by your age?" Well, because I've always done more than one thing at one time, and I don't do it long. All right. So you know, let's so, go back to Florida. So, so you're mm-hmm. down in
0: Florida. You're doing. Mm-hmm. You're getting kind of active. Right. In kind of sounds like local politics. Right. Right. Yeah. Very
1: active on uh, local politics, working on campaigns, state level, local level, organizing. Uh, organized uh, 300 volunteers for the National Urban League convention for three weeks. Um, I was full time at. Uh, Robert Half at the time, you know. So I've been a branch manager at Adeco and Robert Half, uh, the third, the first and third largest staffing firm in the world. And I took that model of staffing on profit on how we can do that for on the nonprofit side. So the Urban League happens in 2008. Long story short, mm-hmm. that was the first time McCain and Obama were on the stage together ever. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine, Dr. McCarthy, uh, needed to organize volunteers. Nobody wanted to show up to volunteer. He asked me to do it. I had three weeks to do it to get 300 people in the door. For an event um, in the presidential event. campaign. Correct. For the National Urban League Convention. That's correct. Okay. Um, and this was Senate, then Senate, you know, um, Senator Barack Obama and yeah. Senator McCain. It was the first yeah. time they were ever on the stage. And they couldn't find anybody to organize volunteers. So I went out and went around to the churches and went and knocked on every door that I could. And mm-hmm. I got 300 volunteers mm-hmm. to show up. And um, through that is when I uh, saw that. If I can get them to show up for free, then certainly I could get my own contract on my own. It wasn't good enough to say that I had been a branch manager, you know, the largest staffing firms in the world um, to get your own contract. They want to know that you can move people like that instantly, you know, overnight. And I did. So I took those 300 volunteers. We also did uh, the Tom Joyner family reunion. We did 100 black men. We ended up doing about 40,000 hours of volunteer work that year For Uh, for the Urban League. No, for everyone. For everyone. For, yeah, for any major convention that had come into town, I so was kind of like a so go-to what you said, person. You,
0: you kind of, you you kind of realized that organizing was you had a talent for it. Well, I knew, and I, then you turned that into what, a business. Well, or?
1: I knew that I had a talent for it because I came from the staffing world, right. Um And I've always just been an organizer. So you're starting to
0: like, be a, a, a like professional organizer.
1: Pretty much. I mean, I was using my staffing expertise yeah. to get people to come, you know, to uh-huh. come volunteer. But it wasn't just about. And this is what. I, what I always talk about with Democrats it wasn't just about just volunteer for free. It was about learning job skills. I was teaching them, you know, you can take this and flip this into a job. You can write this as a job description. Let me give you training. You know, it was it wasn't about just come be a slave four hours for the Urban League. It was about come and learn and let me teach you, show you how you can use that into a skill set. That was the first time that um, my volunteers had an opportunity to see me stand up for them. You know, mm-hmm. at the Urban League, they wanted my volunteers to go sit. Um, they didn't want them to occupy the same space as every. Everyone else, he said, "Well, you can just go sit in the in the green room and watch uh, Barack Obama and McCain speak." And I refused right then and there to Secret Service and said, "If my people are good enough to serve, they're good enough to sit." Um, and these are all stories that people can vouch. You know, I was willing to walk off right then and there. I wasn't impressed about Obama or McCain or anybody else. Mm-hmm. I really believed that my volunteers, my allies, were just as important as mm-hmm. everyone else. So I was very known for that, um, for bringing people okay. to, to the to to the event, but also making sure they deserve the same respect. So, long story short, three years. Later, I took those same 300 volunteers. I started my staffing firm called the Ally Group with those same 300 volunteers. Started on 10 10 2010 with 10 employees, right? Um, and that was the story of how I started my staffing firm. And then, how do you get to Bernie? How I get to Bernie? I met, um, I was doing a training in Florida on crisis management. Uh, Senator Turner was there, Nina Turner, Senator Nina Turner, Turner was higher. there, that's correct, yeah. and um. Every, you know, you have trainers to get up and kind of make everybody feel good. And, of course, I was the one that got up and, you know, said the truth that everybody there lost. And there's no point in us pretending, you know, that we lost. Let's deal with the real issue. And something about lost what at that particular time, we just lost the midterm elections in 2010. Got it. Okay so uh, I guess I spoke truth in a way that she hadn't seen before. And so we began to work with each other, um, me working with her in a communications capacity, uh, me in Orlando, Florida, her in Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. She was doing at that time working at MSNBC, doing a lot of commentary at MSNBC. Mm-hmm. And we just connected. And so when she uh, went to the Bernie Sanders campaign, I followed her. You know, right. I, I, we both um, believed. So it sounds
0: like it's very interesting, your mm-hmm. your sort of journey to to, to, to the – to that can be just as much professional as, as political. Mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. your skills Correct. and your network. That's, that exactly, you what right. yeah. that's exactly what it was. Yeah, that's exactly
1: what it was. It And see, that's that's why there's always a challenge, Steve, when when I tell people about the consequences of consciousness. When I'm speaking up, it's not just speaking up. I'm not just speaking to speak. I lose points. You know, I lose contracts. I lose opportunities because most um candidates, organizations, when they hire operatives, they want to hire you to just do what it is you're supposed to do and shut up. You really can't do both sides. Mm -hmm. You can't be an advocate and be a professional. Mm -hmm. Um, But my advocacy um, just won't It just can't be silent. And so that's why I've had the struggle that I've had with still trying to stay in business um, and offering a very clear skill, you know, skill set. I've worked some of the top um, crisis management campaigns in the last five years, the Orlando Pulse shooting, the Mm -hmm. Hawkscloth rape case, um, the Dallas police shooting. I was the go to person on writing the speech and arranging the media and all the talking points and and moving that throughout the media. But because of me speaking out on Fox News, because Mm -hmm. of me speaking out on Fox radio, that has hurt you know a, a lot of my business opportunities yeah. as well
0: because people put you in a box and say well she's like now a box
1: it, it's that and then also people um fear you having you speaking up for what's right and and mm. and what's wrong and and that includes them as well
0: so you've done that a little bit i mean what looking back on, i mean were you, did you feel inspired by the Bernie campaign. By Bernie, did you at that time? I,
1: won't, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I was inspired by the anti-establishment. I was inspired that okay. so many people wanted to run for 2016, but just were too chicken to do it. So many people wanted to do something different, but Hillary Clinton told them to sit down. I was a Hillary Clinton supporter, you know, the first time around. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like it that she set out that she felt like, oh, you know, well, let's just go ahead and let Barack Obama do. I like people that fight to the end, that put it all on the line no matter what. So that inspired me because it was something different. And Bernie
0: I- was saying... We, we need a change in that anti-establishment feeling you got from him.
1: Correct, and okay. because he was an independent. But it was never because he was a socialist or that I agree with every single policy that he's had. And people say all the time, well, how can you still work for him? Uh, you can work for plenty of people and not agree with everything they say. You know, I have an opportunity to express myself as a voter or to, you know, uh, decide what platform is for me. But at that particular time, particularly with Senator Nina Turner, um, it was important that somebody shook up the system. And it obviously worked because now they are following him you know yes. <laughs> on on everything that he says and not to say that that's the right way for america but it shows that you can shift the dynamic you can shift the yeah. conversation if you're not afraid to have the conversation so what do you think of him now looking back um looking back i would say that um, he's a politician like i've always seen them you know um, a lot of these speeches sound good Um, But when it really comes down to it, when you really have to leverage how do you get things done, you have to work with people that you don't agree with. You have to bow down to things that you may not necessarily agree with, with him working with Hillary Clinton. Um, And I get it. I know it was the politically right thing to do. If I was a consultant, I probably would have advised him otherwise, Uh, I mean, to do the same thing that he did. But for me as an advocate, um, you're either in or you're not. Mm -hmm. And so for me personally, um, I was disappointed. Um, in a lot of the things that happened, a lot of things that we saw in the, saw campaign, in in the campaign. Yeah, in the campaign. What kind of things? Several things. Um, just what I experienced um, by working on this campaign: uh, a lack of. Understanding for racial justice, uh, a lack of understanding. I won't even say understanding because he lived during the civil rights era. So I refuse to play that game of he's just so naive and and doesn't understand what's going on. Please, he watched him. He marched. He marched with Martin Luther King. So let's stop that gimmick. You know. Um, So a, a lot of disappointment on the inner the inner workings on a federal election um, and how uh, things are not uh, what they always seem to be. Uh, and then after the campaign uh, as well, you know, having to go to the Hillary Clinton side when you really didn't want to and then being forced to do certain things, him not running as an independent, um, you know, what they did with Senator Turner with the DNC convention, you know, saying she could speak and then at the last minute saying that she couldn't. Uh, so so just a lot of Sounds that. Like,
0: so you're disillusioned with the way the political machine kind of operated.
1: Yeah, well, I'm not disillusioned because I know, you knew, I don't know if we can cuss, but they're all expect- full of crap. I mean that's just the bottom line. You know they always have been and always will be. I just really just believe that and it's nothing. I have great friends who are elected yeah, officials.
0: You had no illusions in the first place. There was place.
1: no illusions in the first place. That's why right. you don't see if you go back and you don't see me oh, all burning this and burning that and this and this and that and taking pictures and selfies every chance I get. They've always been the same to me. Right. Um every now and then you find people that really have a good heart but at the end of the day to be an elected official there has to be an ego driving you that wants it more than anything. I just yeah. believe that and so you're willing to give it all up? Are you willing to bend on areas that, that I would never fold on. I, I just, it's not in me. It's not who I am. People can say, oh, you I, I was on the ballot for like three months and I got off immediately. I ran for a House seat and got off immediately. Once people start telling me what I had to do and you got to talk to this person, you got to do this guy, I'm not shugging the job for nobody. I truly believe in being independent. So yes. I, I just, I'm not disillusioned. It's all the same to me. Do good things get ha- done? Yes. Okay. By default, yes. Are there good politicians with good heart? Yes. But at the end of the day, they're still politicians. That's just the bottom line.
0: <laughs> I think yeah. a lot of people People will yeah. <laughs> feel like that. But there's a l- last question, because we, we're I mean, we could go on all day. We'll do this again. Yeah. There's a lot more to get into. But <laughs> just for now, looking at where we are right now, beginning of 2019, we're looking ahead to the 2020 election and, and so on. Who is there anyone out there or is there anything that gives you hope in terms of that independent spirit, that spirit of independence and anti-establishment is the phrase you used coming back to the whole populist
1: thing? Wh- wh- where do you see that spirit today? I don't really know that I say I can see that spirit. Um, What I will say is I think that Democrats are finally learning how to be more strategic. Um, You know, it's no mystery to me that all of these candidates are working on a coordinated effort. Um, This is not, you know, everybody just individually, you know, really knowing that they probably don't have a chance in hell um there there's a strategic coordinated effort um which Republicans do all the time, especially on the local level uh, on the state level so I think they're finally understanding that. Um, everybody can't speak to every subgroup, you know, and it's not about identity politics per se, but having different candidates that can challenge each other uh, to understand the importance of competitiveness, um, that's more of a conservative view. You know, it's important to compete. Everybody shouldn't just get a trophy or a participation trophy. So I like the fact that so many people are running because they were told not to. Um, as far as how those ideas shape up and who would be the best or not the best, we'll just have to see because right now everybody's on that what I call anybody but Trump you know, train. Right. And you Usually that fails in time because then people who actually think they have a shot start getting a taste of that power. And then that's when you see the gloves really come off. So we'll just have to see, you know, as it goes on, who's going to, you know, stay united, who's going to, you know, stay focused on it. Like Cory Booker, for example, he already called out in a roundabout way how he was the only one uh, that led the First Step back, And that was his way of saying, I did it and they did nothing. Now, he didn't say it that way, but in time, he he will have to. And I'm going to watch to see if he's going to call it like it is, or is he or is he going to continue to worry about his colleagues' feelings. So those are the type of things. Will he, will he challenge Kamala Harris? Or will he not challenge Kamala Harris just because she's a black woman? Will Kamala ch- challenge him? Mm-hmm. Um, will she not challenge him just because he's a black man? Will Cory Booker challenge Senator Warren? Or will he not just because she's a woman. Those are the things that we're going to have to see the Democratic Party unfold um, and and see what they're really made and do of. Do you
0: see these people as anti-establishment or do you see them as part of the? I see
1: them part of the establishment for right. sure. Yeah, they're definitely part of the establishment for sure. Um, you may hear a lot of those talking points. You know, we don't like big money and we don't like big banks and and all of that because that's just cliche to me, to a lot of them, just like Howard Schultz said that Senator Warren certainly came and asked him for a donation. I thought that was real slick that he brought that (laughs) out. So you say you don't want, you know, well, we don't want billionaires to buy the campaign, but you have no problem going and asking a billionaire for a check. Which one is it? You know, so it's a lot of hypocrisy. Um, It takes money to run campaigns. They know, they're full aware. Um, So this evil monster that they create is is not one um, that I think they live by, and I think hypocrisy is going to show. So I'll just remain independent. I do think I do like what Howard Schultz has to say just because he's scaring the hell out of him. And I think that's always good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Interesting. All right. Great. Well, listen, Tessa, that was such fun. Yeah. Um, thank you I for having me. I think that everything you've said definitely shows you've got that that populist uh, spirit inside. And it was just great to hear yeah. some of the background to all of that. It's such fun. Thanks so much. Thank
1: you so much. Thank you for having me.